0: that quail robert by margaret stanger Hodder and stotten 1966 chapter four christmas and grandchildren father as we stop and pause and read this chapter i want to ask you to direct the steps of our kids and grandkids uh, our entire family cause us to hear and to receive and understand well what you uh, make known to us let your scriptures speak to us, that we might be wise to know you and to know how we ought to live. In Jesus' name, Amen. Cape Cod favored us as it so often does with glorious pre-Christmas weather. One balmy sunny day after another, one balmy sunny day after another gave Robert all the outdoor play he wanted. He ran through fallen leaves as any young thing does, and enjoyed above all else the woodpile. Over under, through, and around he went, filling his crop with bugs of all sorts. No, that last statement is not accurate. He was quite selective as to bugs. The earwig is evidently as repulsive to bird as to man, and he left it strictly alone. Robert may have been a well-fed, protected housebird, but his instinct for finding food for himself remained acute. Spying a movement in the grass, imper- imperceptible to us, he would run at top speed make a three-point landing with his feet and tail as brakes and pounce. Granddaddy long legs seemed to be great delicacies, making a beeline for the small center body uh, part he often had to swallow three or four times before the last wriggling leg disappeared. Their process was one of concentrated enjoyment. With his wonderfully p- protective coloring, it would have been almost impossible to locate him among leaves and twigs except for his almost constant chirps and trills. His plumage was, by now, very rich in tone, although the stripes down the sides of his face were still a soft coffee with cream color instead of white, as were those of his outdoor brothers. In fact, Tommy often wondered whether we should change his name to Roberta. Several days before Christmas, a creche was set up on the buffet at the end of the dining room. The beautiful figures, hand-carved by a dear friend, Mr. Herbert Plimpton, when he was in his 80s stood before the table stable the whole scene backed with small pine branch tips so robert had his introduction to the christmas season since his sense of curiosity was so keen <clears throat> we were not surprised when he spied it from the table and flew over to examine it but we were surprised at his reaction there was none of the excitement he always evinced when a bag of groceries was brought in he just stood at the corner of the buffet and looked then, very slowly, he walked over to the creche, looked at each figure carefully, then settled down in front of the shepherds, gazing at the infant. And he stayed there. Mildred rushed for the camera, but she need not have been in any hurry, for the same picture was posed over and over. The end result was the Christmas card, which both uh, the Kinsels and I used a subsequent Christmas. Never once did he disturb a straw in the manger or touch a figure. Call it curiosity, call it fascination, call it what you will, he always seemed to fit into the adoration. The third day before Christmas, Robert walked out the door with Tommy after breakfast, started across the cement floor of the open porch, and came to a dead stop with a little squawk of surprise. Out went the neck, and the investigation was on. On the floor lay a four-foot spruce tree, which Tommy, had cut the previous evening. It took several minutes of stalking and investigating to convince Robert that everything was safe. How he enjoyed that tree. He played among the branches, neglecting even the woodpile. Every time he went out during the next three days, the tree was his objective. Here, his instinct seemed to fail him. Quail are definitely ground birds, but perhaps because the spruce was lying down, Robert often nestled down on its upper side, sometimes almost going to sleep. We often noticed that when he was apparently asleep on a lap, the eye toward the owner of the lap would be tight shut, but the one toward the room would keep watch. On Christmas Eve, the tree was taken in the house after Robert had gone to bed on his red velvet hat. This timing was not from any sentimental desire to surprise him the next morning, but because Mildred and Tommy knew that the decorating would proceed much more easily without Robert's help. They brought out the ornaments and went to work. Besides the grandchildren, who were coming the next day, Robert had to be kept in mind in the matter of decorations. No strands of tinsel were used because, after all, they might possibly look too much like Robert's favorite sauerkraut. That precaution may have been unnecessary, for Robert was wiser than we sometimes realized, and almost never was fooled by appearance alone. I contributed one ornament. I had found a fallen branch to which a perfect bird's nest was firmly attached. Cutting off the branchlet which held the nest, I sprayed it with gilt and put... uh, Inside it, three small, fragile Christmas tree balls, one blue, one red, and one green. We fastened the ornament near the top of the tree, which stood on an end table near the Davenport. It looked lovely. Three little stockings were hung on the mantel, one for Thomas Third, one for Carrie, and one very wee one, really a doll stocking, for Robert. All was finished in time for the family to attend the midnight service. And when they returned, after a last look at the tree and the piles of packages, they finally went to bed. What fatigue is as delightful as that which comes to all families about one o'clock of a Christmas morning? Their grandchildren would be there tomorrow. The beautiful scene in the living room would be a shambles in no time, and all would be as it should. After all, who should expect more than a few hours sleep on this night of nights? Breakfast was fairly early, since Tom and Nancy and the two children were to arrive mid-morning. And then the wide-eyed ecstasy and the noisy excitement would begin to continue throughout the holiday visit. This year would be the best yet, as a three-year-old girl and a five-year-old boy are the masters of both ecstasy and excitement. But what about a six-month-old quail? Well, Robert did not get up until the family were at the breakfast table. He came into the room, yawning as usual, hopped up on the table, had his orange juice and some toast, and then the dining room being a long L off the um, living room, spied the tree. With a loud cry of surprise, he flew over to the Davenport with Tommy and Mildred following. He went slowly to the end where the tree was, giving the loud cries which sounded like, hurry, hurry, which, with which he announced that the telephone was ringing, and then stood there looking, head first on one side, then on the other. Almost simultaneously, he saw the stockings hanging on the mantel. Again he flew, this time up onto the mantle, and poking his head down to touch the little presents protruding from the top of each stocking, came at last to the tiny one belonging to him. A little sprig of chickweed was his treasure, and he devoured it on the spot. He still seemed a bit bewildered and stood on the mantle, looking over at the tree. Then, to their astonishment, he flew over to it, did not stop on the Davenport, but landed right on the gilded nest. Even though it happened before their eyes, it was hard for Mildred and Tommy to believe. Had I not seen him there myself later in the day, I should hardly have believed it. Robert did not know what a nest was for, um, what a nest was, nor what it was for. Was it the bright gilt that attracted him? Maybe. But there were other ornaments quite as glittery. No one knows the answer but Robert. The indisputable fact remains that he settled down in the nest, thereby adding greatly to the Christmas morning loveliness. It was not just a momentary interest, as he returned to it often as long as the tree was up. As Mildred and Tommy went back to finish their breakfast, Mildred remarked, It seems almost as though that little bird tried to express thanks for all our work of, of last night. Yes, Tommy agreed, and we will have it all over again when we watch the children. I never dreamed we would have this pleasure twice. Well, Robert had developed a technique during previous short visits from the children, who loved him dearly but loved him too much. His technique was to make a dash into the big bedroom and go under the king big king-sized bed to a spot in the geographical center of the sanctuary. That Christmas morning, that is exactly what he did. However, since he really loved human companionship and since any excitement drew him like a magnet, he could not resist occasional forays into the middle of it all. How he loved the tissue paper, the ribbons, and the boxes. However, he had no intention of being played with like a toy, and back he would go to safety. The grandchildren go outdoors to play with the new treasures and out came Robert to the living room in companionship. So the day went and so finally came night and bedtime. The guest wing is at the opposite end of the house from his room so he felt very safe when the small fry were finally calmed down and tucked in. That word finally was not used advisedly. The four tired grown-ups settled down for a game of bridge which was just to Robert's liking. He hopped up on Tommy's shoulder Trilling and preening contentedly, the door of the wing opened. I need a drink. The drink was provided, for both children, of course. Once more, they were tucked in. Soon the door opened again. I forgot to kiss Grandpa goodnight. Grandpa was kissed, and again, quite forcefully this time, the tucking in process was accomplished. Once more, they settled to their bridge game. Again, they were conscious of the door opening, and the voce among themselves agreed to ignore the small, pajamaed figure. It was Thomas Third. He quietly and guiltily approached the table. Nothing was said. Nobody noticed him. That is to say, no human being noticed him. Robert took matters into his own hands. Rising to his full height on Tommy's shoulder, he proceeded to read the right act to the little boy. He scolded, squawked, no sweet trills now. And with his head bobbing violently with every squawk, he clearly implied that if nobody else took care of the situation, he would. And he did. Thomas III stared in bewilderment for a few seconds, then turned and meekly went back to bed. This time it was final. The grown ups managed to keep straight faces faces through it all, and as soon as the door closed, Nancy said, Well, let's take Robert home with us next week. He's a better disciplinarian than we are, evidently. After After a few hands of bridge had been played, Robert's curiosity about the fascinating disorder of the living room floor got the better of him, and he went down to investigate each toy, poke each movable gadget, and enjoy the end of the day as he had its beginning, undisturbed and on his own. When the family decided to have a last cup of coffee, they looked for Robert. Robert was not to be seen. Mildred called his name questioningly. As always, he answered. They finally located the sleepy little responses, and there he was, flattened out in the little gilded nest on the tree. It was such a picture that they left him there until their bedtime, then tenderly carried him to his red velvet hat. Thus ended Robert's first Christmas. (laughs) Such great interactions with the little quail and his ability to know how to uh, (laughs) keep kids in line. I love you guys.